This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And this is Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, coming to you from the FRM Studios in the Buckhead community of Atlanta, Georgia. Today is Wednesday, January 15th, and in the front of the house this week, the countdowns are on. IFA 2020 is just weeks away, and I'm sure that, like me, many of you are in the final stages of preparation for this year's convention. We'll be talking about that and more in just a few minutes with this week's guest, IFA President and CEO, Robert Crisante. But even before convention, the clock is ticking too for your chance to register for the Titus Franchise Center's Mark Ops Franchise Boot Camp at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm. This will be held on Tuesday and Wednesday, January 28th and 29th. This two-day boot camp will reveal the systems, methodologies, skills, and practices of the leading marketing and operations professionals in the franchise community. If your goal is to maximize your investment in marketing and operations, all for the purpose of building a more successful and desirable franchise experience and opportunity, this boot camp is a must for you. It'll provide insightful, valuable information covering every aspect of domestic and international franchise marketing and operations. The boot camp faculty includes career franchise executives who have consistently delivered, no, over-delivered their company's marketing and operations goals and will feel Feature keynote speaker Charlie Morrison, CEO of Wingstop. Look for links to this and the Titus Franchise Center's Franchise Sales Bootcamp that'll take place in Miami, February 18th and 19th, bolted on to Franchise Expo South. Links to both will be found on the Franchise Today Facebook page with both sponsorship and registration information available to all those interested. Get it on your calendar, save the date, and don't miss these major events taking place in Florida. And now, it's time for this week's Franchise Birthdays, with many happy returns going out to Ann Pudiak, Joseph Iotti, Jeannie Power, Andy Uzik, Franchise Connect India, Doug Schust, Brett Larrabee, Julie Vogler, Lonnie Helgerson, Don Kane, Tina Bacon DeFries, Pia Terrell, Patricia Martin, Gary Anguilli, Jeff Dillon, Zaki Ali Khan Gatala, and yours truly celebrating today. Hope you'll all have as great a week and day as I've been having and enjoying and many happy returns to you all. So we've got an action-packed show for you today. And with breaking news coming from IFA, CEO Robert Crisante will open up his interview, giving us a quick look at some hot news that's taking place on the national landscape regarding joint employer. But we're going to take a quick break first, and we'll be right back with Robert Crisante, president and CEO of the IFA. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, 
artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. Robert Crisanti is the president and CEO of the International Franchise Association, the world's oldest and largest organization representing franchising. In a past life, he was confirmed by the U.S. Senate in 2006 as Undersecretary for Technology for the Department of Commerce, the highest-ranking U.S. official charged specifically with representing and advocating for the United States high-tech industry globally. Robert chaired multiple bilateral technology trade missions for the U.S. government in the EU, Asia, and Russia, and served as co-chair for the White House PCAST, the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. In his nearly decade-long service on Capitol Hill, ranging from Committee Chief of Staff in the Senate to Legislative Council in the House, Robert handled legislation before the Banking, Judiciary, Commerce, Government Affairs, and Finance Committees, receiving a law degree from Baylor University School of Law and a bachelor's degree in Political Science and International Relations from Austin College. Robert also received a Certificate of European Commission Law from the University of Glasgow's Law School and completed a master's course in international relations from John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Today, as president and CEO of the IFA, Robert leads a team of 35 staffers, reports to a board of 36 high-profile franchise executives represented by franchisors, franchisees, and suppliers, and he carries out IFA's mission to protect, enhance, and promote franchising for more than 1,400 franchise brands, 350 suppliers, and through the work of some 20-something IFA boards, committees, task forces and initiatives, including the IFA's foundation, the not-for-profit side of the organization, which administers and oversees the Educational Foundation, the ICFE Board, Diversity Fran, VetFran, and NextGen. And speaking of numbers, Robert's claim is to speak three languages. Actually, he speaks four by my count, if you count the language of franchising. One last stat for you, Robert. Yes, sir. The number 2045, that number represents the number of contacts that we share on LinkedIn. How's that for a stat? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is uh, that's pretty good that's very good robert welcome back to franchise today my friend i'm i'm so delighted to be here with you thank you for uh, for having me thanks for uh, to all of your listeners of whom i am a, a regular listener and uh, thanks so much for giving me a chance to, to come in and join you today. We've got so many things to talk about today, Robert, with convention just a few weeks out. But you know me. I've <laughs> never been known for my political correctness. So my first question today is this. In your decade of public service, that decade that you served in the swamp, did you ever have to face the likes of Adam Schiff or Jerry Nadler? I've uh, been at hearings with them, but I've never, I've, they were not in the confirmation process <laughs> when I went through the Senate. And uh, when I was a young staffer, I've engaged with them. But uh, yes. 
they're they're certainly out there, present, and ever more senior. Well, it was just my most irreverent question of the day, so I thought, <laughs> let's clear that one early, and I'm glad that we did. Good. So, Robert, we're only weeks away, and we're going to talk a lot about convention, but I believe you come to the microphone today bearing some just off-the-wire hot news. Yeah, uh, we had uh, we heard from uh, the Department of Labor that the uh, Obama administration, uh, 20 uh, just before 2015, um, implemented a redefinition of joint employer has been been uh, reset to the earlier well-defined uh, definition so that if you uh, now control an employee, hire, fire them, you uh, may be their employer. But otherwise, we have very well-established with court precedent, et cetera, in place rules uh, for putting joint employer back to where it was before. So uh, it was a, a significant uh, regulatory victory for IFA, one we've been working on for, for the, from, the, from before the public announcement of uh, this new um, circumspect joint employer um, legislation uh, that uh, that has cost this industry a tremendous amount of uh, money and a tremendous amount of time, energy, and effort in rewriting the operating manuals of so many uh, organizations just because uh, it, it was completely opaque. And does this take effect immediately? Yes, we are uh, we are uh, back to the uh, to the uh, original standard as of now, and so government enforcement on the federal side uh, will hold you to the standards that were in place at that point in time. Well, that's wonderful news. That's outstanding news. What other victories can you report through the 2019 year? And probably, you know, we're coming to the end of a decade and the start of a new one. I'm kind of curious about how you view some of the biggest wins of the year, but what about blockbuster wins for the decade as well? It's been uh, an up and down roller coaster uh, decade. Certainly, the uh, economics of franchising are doing very well. There's a tremendous amount of activity. We're growing ever faster, faster than other industry sectors considered uh, by themselves. Uh, it is a tremendous business model. The, one, some of the highlights that I think your listeners have to be aware of, and even though there are uh, some warts on many of these things because of the speed with which they were done, the tax reform bill, for example, is saving us over $2.5 billion annually. And uh, that uh, is franchisors, franchisees, and suppliers as well. Anyone who's a pass-through entity uh, that is not a C-corporation benefited tremendously by the work that IFA did, sort of holding the line uh, in combination with two amazing U.S. senators, Senator Daines and Senator Johnson, who helped us convince the uh, the Republican Senate to improve the uh, the financial results that were offered through the tax bill for pass-through entities like like our and many of our entities and, and companies are over two-thirds of IFA's membership falls into that category. The regulatory rollbacks, joint employer is on the run and uh, on the federal side at least. You know we we've pushed back in every conceivable fashion with very articulate and hardworking uh, legal briefs. We've met on Capitol Hill. We've had personal briefings with a number of different agencies and and. Uh, and regulators to uh, spread far and wide what franchising does. Closer to last year, some surprising things that popped up in, in places that were unexpected for us, which just show that this is truly a roller coaster ride that we're on. Both Florida and Alabama introduced bills that would have prevented franchisors from requiring franchisees to collect ad funds in their in their state, so they would have had an ability to opt out, among many other things. So they were, in a sense, rewriting the uh, the contract that franchisees uh, had originally signed in some cases not in every case so we worked hard to prevent the states from interfering with with that 
activity. That was just one of many things that the bill would have done, but uh, it was one of the things that really stood out um, as being damaging where your next door neighbor doesn't have to pay county taxes and city taxes and you do. You might feel uh, not so inclined to do that yourself. So Florida and Alabama were huge energy effort and expense for us to roll those things back. New York City had a joint employer liability bill that was also rejected. And it was in that space. We're going to see that one come back. We'll also see Alabama come back. I'm not sure on Florida as of yet. And then uh, another big victory for us has been that uh, we've had 21 states now enact joint employer protections on a statewide level so that we have protections for state labor and employment law in place that define, you know, an employer as what we all know an employer actually is. You know, there was a time I remember when the existential threats to our business model seemed to be with regulation coming down from Congress at the national level. But anymore, it seems like states have become a much bigger problem for us. Is that is that correct? I think that when uh, folks that are the the push, the energy behind these rollbacks on franchising, we have to see very clearly as being tied to uh, union activity. There's a financial pecuniary interest on the part of unions to have more members. And what better way than to force de facto unionization in the franchise business where there are many, many employees. And so there's an an impulse to uh, move those businesses to default towards unionization. And so that is uh, that is one of the big activities. Uh, when President Obama was in the office uh, and it was getting closer to the end of his term, he was uh, looking to do politically uh, extravagant things, I think, in some regard. And uh, he began to move more and more towards that worldview that uh, he was trying to make sure that those unions who'd been loyal to him throughout got uh, what they wanted. And that was uh, employees by category in the United States uh, delivered on a de facto silver platter. And so uh, efforts began that way. When uh, Donald Trump was elected, uh, the steam went out of that process and it began to move to the states. And so that's why we're beginning to see these same um, articulations happening in California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Washington State, Oregon. Uh, And we'll see those things continue uh, to happen there. As you remember, Stan, better than anyone, we had a uh, very hard time in Washington State where uh, the city of Seattle decided to uh, have a minimum wage in place that discriminated against franchise businesses. And that was a very expensive proposition leading to the closing of uh, of a large number of institutions and the relocation of others outside of the city boundaries in order to survive. So we are always on the lookout, whether it's state, local, or federal. As you said before, we have just right around 35 employees at the International Franchise Association covering 50 states um, and the federal government uh, with about a third of our workforce, uh, in addition to the convention teams and other teams that we have in place in the foundation is a hard road to hoe, and we uh, we do it every day. Robert, where do we go from here in terms of existential threats? I know the joint employer was a big one that has been haunting us for years. What else would you put in that bucket and call not just a threat to the economy, but a franchise, but an existential threat to our way of doing business? Well, I don't I, I, won't, I don't want to confuse any of the listeners by uh, by by saying that joint employer is over. Uh, it is it is being pursued in its intellectual purity in in lots of different places. And so brush fires will continue. At least the good news is for now that the policy of the U.S. Department of Labor has changed and that you don't have the federal government to deal with uh, in this process anymore. The states are beginning to turn 
on this process and in uh, supermajority uh, democratically controlled state legislatures with democratic governors, you will see uh, a move uh, towards this thing. It's not only because it's a, a partisan issue, but it's a worldview. And, you know, the Democrats, if you talk to them reasonably, are arguing that they want to protect workers' rights. And uh, we, you know, we are uh, in in, uh, sympathy with them and and talk to them about that. Uh, But the way they want to go about it uh, sometimes is uh, is a little bit uh, more than destructive of, uh, of businesses. It leaves real harm in its wake uh, for the very people who risked everything to own a franchise and put the business into existence because in, in actual fact, they did build this business and uh, will build this business. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, the, there's a lot that's out there. The bad news, I think, for all of us is that the 2020 presidential election candidates, there's a, there's a piece of legislation which may well be in the next Congress, H.R. 1. It's called the PRO Act, which is going to literally wipe us off the map. The PRO Act is expected uh, to pass the House of Representatives. It has uh, all kinds of wish lists of things that, uh, that the unions have been pushing for. It basically codifies the 2015 BFI standard under joint employer, uh, which is our really our top concern, and it codifies it into law. So now that the Department of Labor would no longer have the ability to interpret what the meaning of the old definition is, it codifies the ABC test uh, for independent contractors, which is what's happening in California right now, into law. And then it changes definitions for supervisors. It codifies what's called the persuader rule. It limits mediation and arbitration provisions, uh, increases penalties, codifies opportunities for uh, people uh, who want to have secret union elections. In other words, you have to declare yourself publicly in a union election, which they think, uh, which I think I, I certainly don't want my vote about anything cast publicly. And uh, so it takes away the, the right for people to vote in private as to whether or not they're in favor or against a union. It basically eliminates right-to-work laws in, in, in many of the states that have grown the fastest in the United States, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, just, it goes on. It literally has about 30 different provisions that have been in, and every single member of the Democrats is likely at this point to support that bill. Uh, as, as from what I've heard, I have not heard anyone standing up and saying that they will not support the PRO Act. Um, this becomes important because if President Trump should lose, the Senate will probably go with him. We would have all three. Uh, bodies controlled by uh, the Democrats who already have uh, strongly expressed interest in this. And of course, every presidential candidate uh, that is running on the Democratic side of the ticket has also endorsed the PRO Act. And it's, you know, I defy anyone uh, to look at that bill and not understand what's going on. It is such an overreach, the extent I, I can't even fathom. There talked to many members about this. I don't understand how they could vote for it. Are any of those that are reading tea leaves or doing polling that you have access to, are they sharing anything at all about uh, the alternative of Trump maintaining the presidency and the House or the Senate becoming all Republican? What are the odds of that in your view? Well, the Senate uh, Republican control of the Senate is stands on a razor's edge. They are working very hard, from what I understand, as are the Democrats to take control. Uh, I think the, the presidential races and presidential approval tends to swing these very close 
types of races. Um, I think if we've learned anything from the last presidential race, you really can't trust the polls. People do the opposite of what they say. And um, as much as President Trump's victory uh, was a surprise, it would not be a surprise that he could pull off another electoral college victory. By that, I mean that states like California, where a president can win uh, or a candidate can win 60% of the vote, only gives him a certain number of electoral votes. Even if he wins by 90%, it doesn't affect the overall uh, slate of votes coming out of California for that candidate. And so President Trump is going to lose California. And, you know, that just uh, it's just a piling on of the number of votes for, for how badly he will lose it. And um, the question is, uh, for the Democrats, which of the seat, which of the states that voted for President Trump the last time are they going to take away uh, this time? And how are they going to keep some of the other ones that were very close from flipping over? And that's the whole game at the moment. Trump is very well aware of this. He is not a um, steeped poll-watching politician. He comes out and shoots from the gut. He does what he thinks is right, uh, which is what causes so much of the uh, of the concern oftentimes, I think, from people. He just is what he is, and he's not going to change. And <clears throat> so uh, it, I think it's it's too close to call, and I think we won't know much more until maybe even the day after the election. So I have no prognostication that I'm really comfortable with. We're going to talk about the convention on the other side of our break. But before we take that break, just one last question on your view of the economy as it stands today and and franchising's place in it. We've always, until I guess 07 or 08, we've always seen recessions help franchising as a a way of doing business. Of course, that, that changed when the access to capital was problematic for us at the same time as that recession hit. But the economy today is so strong, unemployment virtually zero, and yet franchising continues to thrive. And how do you view that going into this next decade? Will it continue? We have a tremendous labor shortage at the moment. When you talk to everyone, uh, you know, just as you uh, alluded to before, access to capital having been a, a, a cream concern earlier, now... Uh, we have a circumstance where access to qualified labor or even trainable labor is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. And we've been talking to, I I was uh, visiting with Ivanka Trump in her office uh, with some other business leaders, uh, you know, uh, some time ago, and we had a conversation about uh, creating some kind of apprenticeship programs uh, and so forth. And I think that the Department of Labor, which now has new leadership coming into it with Secretary Scalia, uh, joining the Department of Labor as its new leader. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to have some movement in that regard uh, moving forward so that uh, the skills that people are picking up while they're working in franchise systems become accreditable and trainable and transferable to other positions. Uh, that's sort of done uh, as a matter of uh, convenience now, but it's not uh, it's not a well-articulated process, and I think that uh, more can be brought to that. I'm, this economy is, is running very strongly, and there are, in my mind, almost short of war or some other natural catastrophe or something. I, I don't see a lot of potential to trip this up. I, I, I believe that the, uh, you know, the impeachment process of the president is uh, you know, in the process of resolving itself uh, now, and uh, that these things, I think, are not going to be causing a major dislocation, um, he says famously. Um, but that's that's what I that's what I see. Of course, it's always the problems that we don't see, right? That uh, come and bite us at the end. But yeah, I, uh, I despite the fact that we haven't had a major pullback uh, um, stand, uh, we're still 
getting franchisees. The only number that's kind of bothering me a little bit is the number of new franchisor startups. Um, there are fewer of those that are uh, that are happening. But I'll tell you, the ones that I do see are very well educated. They have great counsel uh, from folks like you, and they're uh, they're more educated than ones I've seen in the past. And that leaves me uh, feeling very good. The only concern I think I hear re- repeatedly come from those franchisors, especially in food, that are having problems and struggling through the problems of the low unemployment rate. And they're finding that franchisees of existing locations and even new franchise prospects are a little reticent to open up additional locations because they can't staff them. You shared a number with me at the beginning of this conversation of how many uh, contacts we share, which is a a pretty amazing uh, number. Uh, I'll share one back with you this morning. I went on Indeed.com and I looked for franchise job openings. There were 117,000 franchise job openings on Indeed. That is an amazingly high number. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's take the rest of our time together to make certain we give a great big uh, educational plug to the convention upcoming for those who may not yet have registered. You're getting dangerously close to, to missing if you don't. So let's talk some about that after we come right back with Robert Crisante, the president and CEO of the International Franchise Association. We'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot-on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And we're back with Robert Crisanti, President and CEO of the International Franchise Association, taking some time to join us this week in Atlanta for his annual State of the Union, which is offered each year in December and or January, depends on how the calendar falls for the Southeast Franchise Forum. Robert, we're thrilled to have you back with us again for that report. And this year, just it's crazy how the calendar worked out this year. The holidays came really late. Convention is coming really early. And the mad scramble between the two is on. <laughs> it is unbelievable. The staff's hair is on fire when I last saw them on Saturday in the, in the IFA offices. As we said before, there are only 35 of us and about, uh, about six of them are working on, the, uh, on this convention. And uh, to bring 4,000 people together and uh, 
you know, get every get all the trains running, all the I's dotted and T's crossed, and all the crumpets into the right uh, and T into the right room is unbelievable. So, how about a sneak preview? Give us a little backstage glimpse of what the audience can expect this year at convention and why they'd be out of their minds to miss it. Wow, I just I I can't tell you. It's uh, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, with the the work of our chairman David Barr and uh, our executive board and our our board overall. You know, we've put together a uh, a great uh, a great lineup, and we're talking about many, many of the things in great detail that we talked about earlier, you know, everything from uh, operational guidelines and improvements for your stores to financing to positive uh, worldviews and outlooks. We have Simon Sinek coming, you know, who's a famous optimist and best-selling author, had so many positive comments from people uh, that that said they're coming to the convention in large part uh, to see him. He's a well-known visionary and a thinker for leaders, uh, leadership and organizations, and he just is an absolutely inspirational character. Uh, and then speaking of inspiration, as a closing speaker, we have Trent Sheldon, who's a former NFL player for uh, who played for the Indianapolis Colts and the Redskins and the Seahawks. And he's also a motivational speaker on your purpose in life and breaking free from toxic environments, which he certainly uh, knows a lot about. And he's an author and a founder of uh, uh, Rehab Time, uh, which is uh, another organization that promotes positive change in, in bad environments. And uh, these guys just, uh, you know, with our paltry 10,000 or so of, of franchise followers on LinkedIn, these guys have uh, 10 million followers on Facebook and, uh, you know, 1.6, 1.7 million, a million followers on Instagram for Trent Shelton alone. I was just looking at the numbers here. It's crazy. And, and then we have, you know, all of the, the regular franchise luminaries that will be there have, uh, you know, the, the entire IFA board will certainly be there. We have uh, the CEO, um, uh, Burger King, coming. We have a bunch of other uh, folks that we're going to be speaking and and uh, and visiting with us throughout the convention. And then our usual symposium. So I'm just very excited. It should be very fun. My small contribution to the convention as a member of the convention committee this year. Yes, um, that's right. I was re- really excited to see that we are changing up the podium puke where Yes. People at the front of the room, boring you to tears with 100 PowerPoint slides. This year, we've got workshops. We've got interactive and engaging sessions that are going to really bring the audience into the conversation instead of just listening to three or four people from the front of the room, who I'm sure are all accomplished. Nonetheless, engagement and and interaction is what people take their take-home value from. And I know the session that I'm going to be involved with is going to be in that kind of a forum as opposed to just sitting up in classroom style and listening. So it's exciting times. And I think we're seeing a change in some of the demographics for convention. I think that we're seeing a younger crowd. And Next Gen used to be something that was talked about as, as something new and revolutionary. But more and more people that are getting engaged in the franchise business model are a lot younger than me or you. Yes, it's it's absolutely true. And, and we're very excited about it. And I forgot to mention that. I appreciate your polite tip of the hat. Uh, but the uh, convention organizing committee, which put in so much work on this, has helped um, you know change the face of the convention. This is uh, a watershed year for us at at IFA, and we are putting on a a show that is substantially changed from years before, in very um, in in very strong ways. Uh, you know, the more tactile nature of it is definitely uh, important, and that's something that we're going to continue to grow and evolve. And you know, with regard to that, um, we had the retirement uh, last year of of Scott Lair, who had been uh, sort of my right 
hand uh, a guy on uh, all the business matters uh, for us for uh, the time that I'd been there, but had been with IFA for 29 years. Um, he'll be down there as well. Uh, I said, I can't wait to collect my first dues check from you. Uh, so, he, uh, <laughs> he, so Scott and I will see each other down there. So uh, he'll be there, but I, we, we just uh, took a long, long time uh, to uh, to find the, uh, a great replacement for him. But we've just brought on board Jennifer Brandine, who I want to introduce you to down there when when we get together, Stan. She um, is uh, the chief revenue officer. She worked at uh, Disney uh, before this, and she worked at uh, Deutsche Bank as an investment banker. And uh, prior to joining us, she was uh, four or five years with Sylvan Learning Centers. So uh, an amazing woman and an amazing leader uh, for our organization, and I can already see the staff responding well to her to her leadership and guidance. And so uh, I, what turned out to be a, a major problem for me losing Scott has turned into uh, you know a, a, a little bit of spring air for us in the sense that we've got a young person coming in who's got high energy knowledge about this industry, but also knowledge about all of the many things that are happening around us, you know, from the private equity investments that are beginning to happen to, uh, to other things. So um, yeah, I think that will, that will be uh, all further positive change for how we're evolving. In the minutes we've got left, Robert, I want you to reach out to two segments of this audience and I want to ask you to share a message to those franchisors who have been to IFA conventions in the past and may think that I've been there, I've done that. What do you say to that group? And then I'm going to ask you to share a similar message to those who've never been to an IFA convention. And what do you say to those? Sure. Fundamentally, uh, you know, if you've never, uh, if you've never been, or if you've been before, either either of these two things are hallmarks to are answered in this one question, right? You're looking to grow your franchise business. You're looking to learn uh, best practices. You're looking to learn from the people who are the best in class and there at the IFA convention. There's no better place than to meet them, and that's where I go to meet them every year. So it's uh, for the folks that I don't see regularly, uh, and that's many of, the, uh, of you, even Stan, you and I only see each other sporadically. But uh, this is this is a you know a place where you can really learn. It is a little bit like learning to drink from a fire hose. So for the new people, uh, that are coming for the first time, there are tracks that we've built for you electronically on uh, on an app that you can register on. Sort of uh, for the you know depending on where you're coming from, a franchisor or a franchisee, a supplier, whether you're in a particular fade of uh, of the business, uh, the it, the app can help you categorize and, and suggest um, uh, schedules for you. There are hundreds if you're new, literally hundreds of opportunities to uh, do. Uh, segmented learning sessions in, in different rooms uh, to meet business contacts. Uh, the convention puts you in the room or at the same table with experts with all aspects of franchising, and you can find your uh, group there. Uh, the folks that come that come every year and have come every year since the 60s uh, tell me that uh, they, they always learn something new. They always make another business contact or connection, and they always find some new accelerating ideas for their work. It's four days, and so uh, it's it's very intense and short and packed with uh, with activities. But year after year, franchisors and franchisees and suppliers not only walk away with invaluable new skills that they've just acquired uh, and resources to take back to the, their businesses, but they do so with a newfound sense of community and network and a re renewed drive to see their success 
and to see that it's possible because there are other people there that are doing it and they're doing it well. I would throw in on top of your very cogent point about the tracks, I would also encourage franchisors to make a plan for the exhibit hall as well. There are over yes. 350 suppliers. Don't walk into that room without having a mission for what you're there to accomplish because you will quickly become overwhelmed and wind up missing people that you should talk to and talking to people that you didn't need to talk with. So plan that as well. Robert, we're at the place where I have to ask you if there's yeah. anything left that I didn't ask you that you wished that I would. No, I just I just wanted to say thank you for for uh, highlighting the convention floor. I'll be there with uh, with the entire board of uh, IFA's directors walking through um, and and visiting because if you want to learn something, those people that are exhibiting in those booths have many answers to the questions that you're that you're seeking answers for. And uh, even if it's not directly related to uh, the product that they're actually um, representing there at the moment. Uh, all of these folks are steeped franchise executives and they will be able to help you make some other contact. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Stan, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm happy uh, to, uh, to, to be available to you or any of your listeners if they want to reach out to me uh, and see what questions I can answer for them. Thank you. Robert, why don't you give your contact info in that very spirit? Yep. It's R. Crisanti, uh, R-C-R-E-S-A-N-T-I, at franchise.org is the easiest way to reach me. Can't thank you enough at this busy time of year for carving out some time today. Look forward to seeing you at the Southeast Franchise Forum tomorrow. Our guest today has been Robert Crisante, President and CEO of the International Franchise Association. Thank you again, Robert. Thank you. Hey, I could fill hours talking to Robert, and we'd still be just scratching the surface. What a great guy and a competent leader. Next week, we'll be talking to Jason Anderson, president of United Franchise Group's Venture X. Until then, please remember to subscribe to Franchise Today at Blog Talk Radio, and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or virtually any place that podcasts are found. Remember, too, to ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today. Please like us on Facebook and let me hear from you with recommendations for guest interviews and any thoughts or comments you'd like to share. You can find all my contact info on my LinkedIn profile. So until next week, I'm Stan Friedman. I'm wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.